Chapter 28 of Captain Antifer by Jules Verne. This Cyberbox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Joe Denoya, Somerset, New Jersey. Chapter 28 The house in which Mr. Turkermel lodged was in the neighborhood of Canongate, the windows looking out onto the valley in which runs the railway. It was a gloomy, uncomfortable house, up one of those sordid, insanitary alleys known as closes running out of this historic thoroughfare, which, under different names, extends from the Palace of Holyrood to the Castle of Edinburgh, one of the four Scottish fortresses which, by the Articles of the Treaty of Union, have always to be kept in repair. It was at the door of this house that on the morning of the 26th of June, Captain Antifer and the banker Zambuco, accompanied by Jewel, arrived, just as eight o'clock was striking for the neighboring church. Ben Omar had not been asked to join them, his presence being useless at this first interview. And consequently, much to his disgust, Saouk was also absent. If the minister divulged the secret of the latitude, he would not be there to hear it, and it would therefore be impossible for him to outstrip Antifer in the search for island number three. As to the bargeman, he remained at the hotel, and, while waiting the return of the visitors, amused himself by contemplating the marvels of Prince's Street and the pretentious elegancies of the Scott Monument. As far as Jewel was concerned, it had not been possible to dispense with him, as his uncle required his services as interpreter. It could be imagined how eager they were to find where Island Number 3 was situated. Saouk, it may be observed, was furious when he found himself left behind, and as usual, vented his anger on Ben Omar. Yes! It is your fault, he shouted, knocking over some of the furniture. And I have a great mind to pay you out with a good thrashing. Excellency, I did all I could. No, you did not do all you could. You should have forced yourself on this rascally sailor and told him that your presence was necessary and that you would be there. You would then have found out and told me about this new island, and I might have perhaps got there before the others. My plans were spoiled at Muscat, they were spoiled at Mayumba. Do you think they're going to fail again because you remain stuck there on your feet like an old ibis stuffed with straw? I beg. And I swear that if I fail, it is your skin that will pay for it. The scene continued in this way and became so violent that the bargeman heard the noise. He went to the door of the room and was lucky for Zouk that he was speaking in Egyptian. If he had assailed Ben Omar in French, Tregamine would have discovered his abominable schemes, and learned who the so-called Nazim really was, and traded that personage as he deserved. But although this was not revealed to him, he was thoroughly surprised at the violence with which Ben Omar was treated by his clerk, and saw that the young captain's suspicions were fully justified. Entering the minister's house, Captain Antifer, Zambuco, and Jewel began to ascend a wooden staircase with the aid of the greasy rope hanging on the wall. Never would the bargeman, thin as he might have become, have been able to make his way up these dark, narrow stairs. The visitors reached the landing on the third floor, the last on this side of the house. In front of them was a small door in a recess, of which was the name Turkamel. Antifer uttered a vigorous grunt of satisfaction and knocked. The reply was a long time coming. Was not the minister at home? Why not? A man to whom you are bringing a million or so. A second knock, 
rather louder than the first. This time there was a slight noise in the interior of the room. It was not the door that opened, but a little hole just above the name. Through this hole appeared a head, that of the minister. What do you want? asked the minister, in a tone that showed he was not overpleased at being disturbed. We wish to speak to you for a few minutes, said Jewel. What about? A matter of important business. I have no business, important or otherwise. Ah, exclaimed Antifer, annoyed at so much delay. Is he going to let us in? But as soon as the minister heard him speak in French, he answered as if it were his native tongue. Are you a Frenchman, then? Frenchman, replied Jewel. And imagining that I might facilitate their introduction into the minister's room, he added, Frenchman, who heard your sermon yesterday. And who think of becoming converts to my teaching? asked the minister. Perhaps. On the contrary, said Antifer, he must be converted to ours unless he chooses to give up his share. The door was opened, and the three visitors found themselves in the minister's presence. It was one room, lighted at the end by the window looking out over the ravine. In one corner was an iron bedstead with a straw mattress and a counterpane. In another corner was a table with a few toilet utensils. There was a bench for a seat. There was a cupboard in which the minister kept his clothes. On a shelf were a few books and writing materials. There were no curtains, and the walls were bare. There was a table with a reading lamp, the shade of which was very low. It was a bedroom and a study in which there was nothing that was not strictly necessary. The minister, who was all in black except his collar and tie, did not ask his visitors to sit down, and he had but one seat to offer them. In truth, if ever millions would be welcome anywhere, it ought to be in this cell, the whole contents of which are not worth thirty shillings. Captain Antifer and Zambuco looked at one another. How were they to open fire? As soon as their co-legatee began to speak French, Jules' intervention was unnecessary, and they became merely a spectator. He preferred to be so, and it was not without a certain feeling of curiosity that he awaited the encounter. Who would be the conqueror? At the outset, Captain Antifer felt more embarrassed than he had ever expected to be. After what he knew of this revolutionary minister, of his opinions regarding this world's goods, he judged it advisable to proceed with caution, to feel his way, to break the news gently, so as to persuade the minister to hand over the letter of Kamalik Pasha, which ought to be in his possession, and which there could be no doubt contained the figures of the new and, let us hope, the last latitude. But Antifer had no chance of beginning. Whilst three visitors were forming a group in the back of the room, the minister placed himself in front of them in the attitude of a preacher. Persuaded that these men had come of their own free will to accept his teaching, his only thought was to enlarge on his principles with as much eloquence as he could muster. My brethren, he said, clasping his hands in an outburst of gratitude, I thank the author of all things for not having refused me that gift of persuasion, which has enabled me to instill in your hearts that contempt of wealth. Imagine the faces of the two legatees at this exordium. By destroying the wealth you possess, continued the minister, which we do not yet possess, Antifer could not help saying, you will give an admirable example, which will be followed by all those whose minds are capable of rising above the materialities of life. Antifer, by a sudden movement of his jaw, 
jerked the pebble from one side of his mouth to the other. While Zambuco whispered, Are you not going to explain the object of our visit? An affirmative sign was Antifer's reply, while he muttered to himself, I must not let him give us his yesterday's sermon over again. The minister, opening his arms as if to receive repentant sinners, said in a full voice of unction, Your names, my brethren, in order that... Our names, Mr. Turcamel, interrupted Captain Antifer, are these. I am Pierre Servan Malo Antifer, retired coasting captain. This is Jewel Antifer, my nephew, Master Mariner. This is Mr. Zambuco, banker of Tunis. The clergyman stepped to the table in order to write down these names. And doubtless you bring me your worldly wealth? Thousands, perhaps? Well, Mr. Turcamel, we have come about millions, and when you have got your share, you can destroy it as you please. But as far as we are concerned, that is another matter. Antifer was off on the wrong tack. Jewel and Zambuco saw this at once by the change which took place in the minister's face. His forehead wrinkled, his eyes half-turned, his arms, which he had opened wide, fell on his chest as if they were shutting the door of a safe. What, then, is all this about, gentlemen? he asked, stepping back. What is it all about? asked Antifer. Come, Jewel, unroll the thing, for I should not be able to measure my words. And Jewel unrolled the thing without reticence. He related all he knew about Kamalik Pasha, the services rendered by his great-uncle Thomas Antifer, the obligations contracted with the banker Zambuco, the visit to St. Malo of Ben Omar, notary of Alexandria, the voyage to the Gulf of Oman, where lay island number one, followed by the voyage to Mayumba Bay, where lay island number two, the discovery of the second document, which sent the two co-legatees to a third legatee, who was no other than the reverend gentleman to whom he was speaking. While Jewel spoke, the clergyman listened, without making a movement, without permitting his eyes to brighten or his muscles to twitch. A statue of marble or bronze could not have been more motionless. And when the young captain finished his story, and asked him if he ever had any business with Kamalik Pasha, the minister simply replied, No. But your father? Maybe. Maybe is not an answer, observed Jewel, calming his uncle, who was turning about as if he had been stung by a tarantula. It is the only answer I think it necessary to give, replied the minister, dryly. Insist, Mr. Jewel. Insist, said the banker. In every possible way, Mr. Zambuco, replied Jewel. And addressing the minister, who evidently intended to maintain extreme reserve. May I ask you one question? He said. Only one? Yes, and I can answer it or not, as I please. Is it within your knowledge that your father was ever in Egypt? No. But if it was not Egypt, it might be Syria, or to be more precise, Aleppo. It will not be forgotten that it was in this town that Kamalik Pasha had resided for some years before he returned to Cairo. After a moment of hesitation, Mr. Turkomel admitted that his father had lived in Aleppo, where he had met Kamalik Pasha. There, no doubt, he had been of service to the Pasha, as had Thomas Antifer and Zimbuko. I will now ask you, continued Jewel, if your father received a letter from Kamalik Pasha. Yes. A letter in which there was some mention of the position of an island in which treasure was buried. Yes. 
And did not this letter contain the latitude of this island? Yes. And did it not say that one day a certain Antifer and a certain Sambuco would come and see you on this subject? Yes. Every yes fell like a hammer stroke, louder and louder. Well, continued Jewel, Captain Antifer and the banker Zambuco are in your presence, and if you will show them the Pasha's letter, they will have only to make a note of its contents and be off to fulfill the intentions of the testator, of which you and they are the three legatees. As Jewel spoke, Captain Antifer struggled in vain to keep still. The minister paused before he replied. And when you have reached the place where the treasure is, what are your intentions? To unearth it, of course, said Antifer. And when you have unearthed it? To divide it into three shares. And what are you going to do with your shares? Whatever we please. That is it, gentlemen, replied the minister, while his eyes glowed like fire. You intend to take advantage of these riches to satisfy your instincts, your appetites, your passions. That is to say, to contribute towards the increase of the inequities of the world. Allow me, interrupted Zambuco. No, I will not allow you, and I ask you this simple question. If this treasure falls into your hands, will you undertake to destroy it? Each will do with his legacy as he judges best, said the banker evasively. Antifer exploded. That is not it, at all, he shouted. Do you know what this treasure is worth? It makes no difference. It is worth four million pounds, and there's a third of that for you. The minister shrugged his shoulders. Are you aware that you are not allowed to refuse us the information the testator requires you to give? Really? Do you know that you have no more right to leave four millions unproductive than to steal them? That is not my opinion. Do you know that if you persist in your refusal, yelled Captain Antifer in a fury, we should not hesitate to bring you to justice, to denounce you as a fraudulent legatee, as a criminal. As a criminal, repeated the minister angrily, but cool. Really, gentlemen, your audacity equals your absurdity. Do you imagine that I shall agree to spreading four millions over the earth to become the cause of four million sins the more? To stultify all my teachings and give my congregation the chance of flinging four millions in my face? Jewel could not help admiring the preacher, while his uncle, wild with anger, was ready to spring on him. Yes or no, hissed Antifer, clenching his fists and stepping forward. Yes or no, will you give us the Pasha's letter? No. Antifer foamed at the mouth. No? No. Ah, I will make you give it to us. Jewel interposed. His uncle pushed him aside. Antifer would have strangled the minister, searched the rooms, ransacked the cupboard, and it would not take him long to do so. But he was stopped dead by this simple and peremptory reply. It is useless for you to search for the letter. And why? asked Zambuco. Because I have not got it. What have you done with it? I have burnt it. He has put it to the fire, gasped Antifer. The wretch! A letter containing the secret of four millions a secret never to be discovered now. And it was only too true. Doubtless for fear of being tempted to make use of it, a use contrary to all his principles, the reverend gentleman had burnt the letter several years before. And now you can go, said he, showing his visitors the door. 
Antifer was overwhelmed at the blow. The document destroyed? The finding of the island impossible? And so it was with Zambuco, who burst into tears, like a child deprived of his plaything. Jewel had to help the two legatees out onto the stairs, then into the road, and then, sorrowfully, they went back to the hotel. End of chapter 28